Hello, and welcome to this episode of Not a Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. My name is Kelly. And this is Sarah. And this is episode nine of season one, titled A Cowboy's Lullaby. Kelly, let me tell you this really funny thing that happened this week. Okay. Oh my god! I thought I couldn't tell if you were doing it for the recording or you wanted to tell me that I was doing something wrong. I thought that's what you were gonna tell me, so I was like, "No, okay, tell me." We're we're doing a show, man. <laughs> Always in character. I'm a mess. My brain is just like dead. Oh my gosh! I guess we can forgive you because you just finished finals week. I literally just finished finals, y'all, and I actually don't know how I'm alive and. I'm, like, slightly disappointed I didn't do better, but I'm also, like, ecstatic that I passed, so we're gonna go with that. <laughs> well, what I was gonna tell you is while you were kind of totally off the interwebs and in your hole with books and studying, I was over here pretending that I'm more tech-savvy than I actually am, and you're not gonna believe what was trending on Twitter this week. Us? I wish it was us. No. No. Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman was trending on Twitter this Why? week. For like barely an hour. It wasn't even very long, but I dived in as deep as I could. Uh, why is kind of probably up for discussion, but what it looked like to me was some person with a whole lot of followers was like, did anyone ever actually watch Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and Touched by an Angel and thousands of people commented on it and what cracked me up is that the majority of the answers were like my mom my grandma I was forced (laughs) to watch with my grandma my mom wouldn't let us miss it but then the funniest one was this person replied yeah they're all dead now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I wrote back, false, <laughs> with a winky face next to our Twitter. And uh, a lot of people thought that was funny. And one person was like, a Dr. Quinn medicine woman podcast? <laughs> and you're like, yes, we exist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like rising up from the underbelly. Like I was made for this moment. Um, but actually what I tweeted was like, yes, we like to consider ourselves one of the good things to come out of 2020. <laughs> no, but it's true. Even with like all the response we've gotten from our listeners, there are plenty of people that still Love and appreciate Dr. Quinn, that is for sure. But anyway, so that was what was happening on the internet while you were stuck in a small room with books, crying. (laughs) Is it it bad that that's what I imagine being a a medical student is like? Mm, Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. Sometimes with other people studying, but a lot of that was over Zoom, so yeah, basically. (laughs) We can jump in with lessons. Our friend Petulis on Instagram wrote in and said, Thanks to you guys, I am seeing this episode in a whole new light. I used to skip it, but watching it again, I noticed that it really shows how we all have fights that no one knows about. It's really easy to judge someone else's choices without really knowing what they've been through, which I love that list. Yeah, yeah, me too. Also on Facebook, we have one from Hygia. I apologize if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, but she just had a short and sweet thing saying that this episode really showed Horace's love for Myra, which I think is true. We've seen bits and pieces, but this was a pretty focal episode for that. Do you know what mom's comment was on this episode? What? (laughs) Do I want to know? She said, if I could count the number of times Kelly said, Horace is so sweet in this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Did I really? I didn't notice that. Wow. (laughs) I said, well, it can go right up there with the number of times she said that Brian is so cute. Well, it's about to happen in this episode, too, because he's so cute. (laughs) Well, I was watching and wondering if I was like, is she going to say more about Brian or about the baby? (laughs) Both. (laughs) Exactly. We do have an email here from another grateful fan who says, I think one lesson learned in this episode is that Dr. Mike realized that for some, the past really does dictate and control their future. Even though Doc Eli knew his special elixir wasn't curing anyone, and that in some cases, surgery actually is required, he still refused to go back to his life of real patient care because what he experienced in the past was too much. For some, the past holds us back, and for others, it drives us to make the future better. 
I like that. I like that a lot. Wow. Some of you are really good at writing lessons and I love it. I like that a lot of you are analyzing um, some of the same things that we are. So yeah, I think that's, that's pretty deep and it's true. And I think that's what makes good art is when we can pull lessons from it and what we, when we can learn how to apply them in our own lives. Like that's what I think the, the value of art really is. It's more than just in taking it and being like, oh, that was nice. But then being able to walk away and be like, how can I grow as a person from this art or entertainment, right? Not that things can't be entertaining for entertainment's sake, but I like them better <laughs> when they make me think deeply. All right, well, let's jump in with this episode. We are at season one, episode nine, A Cowboy's Lullaby, was directed by Chuck Bowman. This is his third of 32 directorial turns. The writers, obviously, Bess Sullivan gets creator credit and Joseph Anderson. And Joseph Anderson, this is his first of 10 plus episodes that he will be writer or co-writer for. However, if you go on his IMDb page, he is credited with different producer roles for over 70 episodes of Dr. Quinn. So we have someone who is very present in the creative world of Dr. Quinn. And this episode aired on the 20th of February, 1993. Scene one. We open with breakfast at the homestead. Oh, uh, I should mention, based on the logical viewing order, this is actually recommended as the first episode after the pilot. Okay. Which I think, as we go through, I'll point out some things where I'll be like, actually, that makes a lot of sense. It does. I was going to ask you that, because there were a couple things where I was like, what? Yeah. (laughs) Which, that just kind of helps us understand better why the characters are where they are kind of in their relationships. There's a newness to, of Dr. Quinn to the town. There's a newness of this family. Um, And the puppy is a small bean. Yes, (laughs) that that is the first thing I noticed. I was like, why is Wolf... Like, why is, not Wolf, why is Brian's puppy so tiny? Yes. (laughs) Like, it was not that tiny last time. No, he was much bigger last time. Um, I think it was with the healing. I think we saw him with Byron when he was chasing Byron, the female deer, through the homestead. And that was a much bigger puppy. But the children and Dr. Mike are discussing her brand new business cards. And... You know, your girl right here was like, you know what? I wonder when business cards came into existence in history. Casey Printing has the entire history of business cards. And again, I'm going to say I was actually really fascinated by it. But the short, because I think no one probably but me actually cares. (laughs) The earliest examples of business cards were actually called quote unquote visiting cards. And they actually first appeared in China in the 15th century. And I think anyone who's read like Jane Austen or anything from like the Edwardian, Georgian, Victorian period would know about like visiting cards like you go to someone's house and you leave your card right and the point of these cards were they had any and all information of why you were an important person or they should see you according to this uh, write-up by Casey Printing they were a self-promotion brochure that people carried with them to show they were important and so the business card is born out of this very ancient starting in China which you know I lived in China so I'm like dude that's cool (laughs) and so yeah that's a little bit of history that no one asked for about business cards (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's funny because she states that it got it took her four months to get these business cards and they didn't spell Colorado right. So she's like, well, I don't have time to wait again. So And then they have a discussion of why Dr. Mike has is getting business cards anyway. And it's because there she feels like there are a lot of people in Colorado Springs that she doesn't have the opportunity to reach out to because they never come to town. And she throws in there part only part of the full quote but the full quote is if the mountain will not come to muhammad 
that Mohammed must go to the mountain. I think most people know like the origin story of Mohammed who was the father of Islam. But actually this quote in particular was a phrase that was first written in 1625 by an author, hopefully you've heard of him, called Sir Francis Bacon. And he wrote a group of essays, and the story of Muhammad was a part of those essays. And interestingly, in his original adaptation, he did not write mountain, he wrote hill. And it wasn't until 1643 that John Owen changed the quote in his essays to mountain. And so it had to do with, in Muhammad's story, he wanted proof of his teaching, and so he asked God to send the mountain to him, and the mountain was considered to be Mount Safa, or Safa, not sure the pronunciation. But the mountain didn't move, and Muhammad instead saw it as God's faithfulness, because if he had moved the mountain, then it would have crushed him. And so he instead went to the mountain to seek God. Um, and so that is the origin of this little quote that just gets put in there, which actually there is no evidence that this is really a part of Muhammad's origin story. It was first mentioned in Francis Bacon's essay. And if you don't know, Francis Bacon is one of the historical figures who some people believe might have been the real William Shakespeare, because there is a huge uh, what's the word, conspiracy theory about who William Shakespeare actually was because of the limited records of the era. It's really fascinating. I taught all about it, so I had to geek out a little bit because some people think there's enough evidence to argue that Sir Francis Bacon was actually William Shakespeare. So just a, a lot of little history tidbits to throw at you. And then we <laughs> end with everyone laughing over Dr. Mike's inability to cook and she takes it much better than I would have. <laughs> she does. She knows. I'm like I was like, wow, she can laugh at herself about the fact that her biscuits are rock hard and her eggs are chewy and her children don't want them, but she can laugh at herself. Nor so. the puppy. The puppy right, won't right. eat it either. <laughs> yeah, but I thought it was nice that she could laugh at herself. And then we see her kind of go out to the barn where there is a man milking her cow. And while he's pointing the gun at her, she realizes that he has an Indian baby with him with a cough. And of course, she's a doctor, so she wants to check out the baby. And um, the guy there actually reluctantly lets her look at him and says, you know, this baby is sick. He's got a fever. He's got a cough, um, which which could be a lot of things, right? I think later on we kind of talk about, they talk about infantile colic, but there's respiratory syncytial virus. Babies can get colds or pneumonia, so there's no really way at this point to be able to tell what's wrong with the baby but we have kind of interruption with our title sequence with no narration here but back in the barn Dr. Mike states that they bathed the baby they gave him quinine which do you remember we when we talked about quinine I remember that that was what brought down fevers during the epidemic right now it's kind of funny because we use it for malaria um prophylaxis but yes at that time, it was used for colds and the flu um, to help with the fever. So they get the fever down um, with this baby, and the man actually apologizes, and we learn his name is Mr. McCall. He apologizes basically for putting a gun in her face, but kind of gives this history that he he can't stay because he has a job in Pueblo, but he's from Arkansas and was working in Texas and came out searching for gold, which we learned a lot about that a few episodes ago. She advises him to stay because the baby's not doing well. And I don't know if you caught this, but it's kind of weird because she's like, oh, I have to go into town. And there's this, like, weird, like, lingering look that happens. And you're like, is something about to happen between them? Like, what? It Was that flirting? What's going They're on? <laughs> attractive young people. <laughs> I guess. It should be mentioned that the man, Mr. McCall, is played by none other than John Richard Schneider III. <laughs> who most, I feel like most people will yeah. know as Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazard. Yes, he's been in a lot of stuff. I'm sure a lot of you have seen him in things before. I really liked him in a movie that, I don't think it came out that long ago. It's called October Baby. Um, He played the dad in that and I really liked that movie. No, I did. I think that was a long time ago because I was in college when that came out. Oh, really? Feels yeah. like it wasn't that long time ago. <laughs> He also is a professional country singer, which we'll see because he does sing in this episode. And I think like a weird behind the scenes, not weird, an, uh, just a notable behind the scenes connection is that he 
for a time lived with Johnny Cash and his wife um, and and kind of credits a lot of his faith as a Christian to Johnny Cash's influence in his life. So I just thought that was a cool connection considering Johnny Cash has also been a guest star on this show. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I do want to know in that scene where he apologizes, he doesn't just apologize for holding a gun to her head. He right. also apologizes for the fact that he was stealing it all. He says, you know, something right. along the lines of like, I'm not proud of the f- of having to steal. Yeah. The baby does not have a name yet. However, I think someone did this child, the real actor baby child, wrong. Because the baby is not credited in this episode at all. And I, I'm like, someone somewhere could have been walking around being like, yeah, I was a baby in uh, the season one of Dr. Quinn. <laughs> but no, well, I guess, or anyone could, cl- I could say, it was me. And you won't know because I didn't get credit for it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Except we've already established, uh, well, no, actually. You're I, too old. <laughs> I, I am too old to be that baby. But uh, not that much older. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. That's funny. The next scene, Dr. Quinn is riding through beautiful wilderness, I suppose. And she is, there's some voiceover that she is visiting local farms and ranches to introduce herself. She says farms and ranches, but then where we end up seeing her looks like it might be another miner's camp, which also makes sense. But the guys are kind of giving her a hard time. They're like, can you look at my mule? Uh, And she's like, I'm not that kind of doctor, which goes to show that Sully is in a different category of these guys. (laughs) Because in the last episode, she totally just helped Wolf. It's different. <laughs> that exactly, exactly. Uh, and then there's kind of this comedic scene where I think Jane Seymour does a really great <laughs> physical acting here. Naked Uncle Eddie. Go check on yeah, our naked Uncle Eddie, and you know she she's so she nice. Keeps her cool. You know you you don't feel cold. No. Um, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Why don't you have any clothes on? <laughs> Because I'm 73, I figure I can do as I please. She's like, great, well, you look like you're in fine health, so... (laughs) I'm like, okay. And she gives him her card. She does. Next thing we know, we're at Bray's Mercantile, and she is getting cloth diapers from... From Lauren, and of course he has something to say about it because he's like, I'll, I'll wrap these up for you, you know, like single women should not be buying baby things, even if they are for a patient, because she explains that. But she's yeah. like, nope, don't worry about it. And she's outside, Sully helps her on her horse. Um, he also asks about the baby, in which she says, you know, the baby is staying at the homestead, so we know that Mr. McCall and the baby will be staying there for a little bit. She invites him for dinner, and he says that he will come. Yeah, I do find it interesting that Lauren is really worried about her reputation. As if she isn't a controversial figure enough. What's going to yeah. top it? Carrying baby things around. He's like, it's basically like, I'm judging you, but I don't want everybody else to have to judge you, so... Well, remember... As we were told in the pilot episode, there are no respectable single women in this town. So, in a way, you know, I guess he was trying to help. (laughs) Yeah. At dinner, we learn why Colleen is such a good cook, which this totally makes sense. She helped cook for the boarding house that Charlotte had, and that's why she became so skilled at cooking, because she did it in large quantities with her mother. And we definitely get some foreshadowing here when Mr. McCall says, wow, you taking in the children of strangers, there are not many people who would, who would do that. Um, and so we get this like recognition that um, Dr. Mike is, is something special. I wrote down a couple notes for this scene because then he sings a cowboy's lullaby to the baby roll credits right (laughs) which the song cowboy's lullaby was actually written by joseph anderson the writer of this episode and john schneider so that's kind of cool the actor and the writer got together to write this song and it sounds like 
a lullaby that I would guess actually is already out there, but it's not. It's pretty though. It's really pretty. And I think he has a, he has an awesome voice. Yeah. I wrote interesting note, which this could contribute to where the characters are in their relationships based on when this episode really was meant to take place. But Sully doesn't seem threatened by this other man no. in the house, which it just, the whole t- scene felt so different than when, like, Ethan Cooper was in the house, you know? Like, just, we've seen this scene before of, like, a man visiting the Coopers with Sully over for dinner, and it just felt tonally <laughs> so different. The other thing that I wrote was he had a guitar, and I just was like, hey, when did guitars come around? And actually, in the United States, Christian Frederick Martin made the first guitar in the USA in the 1830s. So we're estimating that this Dr. Quinn is set somewhere between the 1830s and the 1860s because somewhere in there, you know, the um, the Civil War happened, all that kind of thing. And we know they play with the dates loosely. But I thought that was interesting. So Mr. McCall playing that guitar actually probably would have been a very unique experience because the guitar was not that old as an instrument in America at this time. So that's kind of cool. And Dr. Mike sings too, which go Jane Seymour. Yeah, I think it's a really sweet scene because we also have Sully basically holding Brian, which is really cute. There, I said it first time. (laughs) But he even is like looking at, he's like looking at Dr. Mike very lovingly while she's holding the baby and stuff too. You look so uncomfortable. (laughs) I was like, as I was saying that, you look so uncomfortable. But um, no, I think it's, it's sweet scene and that's all i'm gonna say about it so our mother doesn't give me a hard time apparently (laughs) she didn't say it to you she said it to me (laughs) exactly so (laughs) hi mom (laughs) the next morning mr mccall is leaving early and brian must hear him and comes out and asks him where he's going and he says he's got to run into town and he has a letter for dr mike and it's a surprise And I think we know what's happening as far as his intentions. And, you know, when Brian, he he even uses like a little distraction tactic when Brian starts asking questions. He puts his hat on Brian's head to kind of keep him from thinking too much more about what the letter could possibly say and why there needs to be a letter and all that jazz. We learn he wasn't just leaving, but he went into town Lauren's getting up early. He's in the mercantile. He notices a back door open. Next thing you know, he's being held at gunpoint by Mr. McCall, who's stealing the money. It's clear that Mr. McCall definitely comes across as a reluctant thief, but a thief nonetheless. He's like, I'm nervous enough, okay? Yeah. Cooperate. Which I don't know if that's meant to make us feel sorry for him because he's still making the decision to do it. And when Lauren calls him a thief, you know, he gets mad and he's like, I wasn't always like this, you know. Um, and this is where I kind of realized like, oh, this this must be an earlier episode because Olive is obviously not there. I wondered about that. I was like, is she just like asleep upstairs or what's happening? Right. Well, and we met Olive in the epidemic, which is... Uh, you know, in the DVD order, like, that is technically the first episode after the pilot, but if this one was meant to be. So, I don't know, it just, it, the whole logical viewing order makes it more interesting to dig out things. But yeah, like, Olive wasn't there. So then Mr. McCall takes the money, and we hear him right away, and then Lauren starts yelling for help. Right, and then back at the homestead, Mike is reading that letter that Brian gives her, and she, you know, figures out very quickly that he has left the baby with her. He thinks that the baby would have a better life than with him. Um, And so... And we learn his name is Red. Right, Red McCall. And so Emily, good old Emily, who has lots of children so she can teach others things, she's kind of teaching Dr. Mike how to to put on these cloth diapers. Um, But we hear then that there's been a bandit in town and... um, 
we also find out that Dr. Mike has no intention of, of keeping this baby at this point, you know? Yeah, well, but in the letter, I notice he doesn't actually ask her to keep the baby. He right. says, I, I trust that you will find a good home for my baby. Hmm. Which I thought was interesting because, yeah, it. I wonder, would it make more sense if he had asked her and then she realized, you know, I just took on three kids. I can't do a three kids and a baby and be a doctor. Like, that's a lot. <laughs> Um, not, there are women who probably do that and more though. So girl power, but for her, that's just seem, I think I would understand why it's overwhelming, but yeah, yeah, so it is kind of interesting because he didn't ask her specifically. So it's curious what made him trust her to find someone or just that he knows she, because of what she did for Charlotte's children, that she wouldn't do any less for his child. Right. That he probably just trusts her judgment more than his own at this point. And I think that's that's the point, right? So Brian's playing Chinese checkers. I did notice that. Did you know the Chinese checkers are not even from China? Oh. They were invented in Germany in 1892 and called Sternhalma. Sorry if my German is bad. But in the United States in 1928, so far later than this is taking place, two American guys called them Chinese checkers as a marketing campaign. Hmm. Your whole life has been a lie, I know. <laughs> I'm sure they only even brought it up in this scene so they could have something to be like, like, oh, you can't have that around, the baby. If you're going to have this baby, like, the baby could choke on that. And I, know, I think Why didn't they just have the marbles? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You're right. But she asked the reverend, you know, is there some somebody we can find for this baby? Do you know of any families? And he's like, really? Like, I think that's something the doctor should handle. But... Which I don't know that I agree with that. Yeah, I don't really know what the protocol was. I think she, she probably did the right thing. The reverend knows people. And I don't really know how adoption and other things are working at this point. But, you know, he says that there's an orphanage in Denver for quote-unquote, his kind, just because they are anticipating it's going to be difficult because this baby obviously had an Indian mother. So it's also mentioned here that there is a posse going out to try and find the man that stole Robin. Stole Robin? (laughs) Stole from Lauren? I love the shot that they have of the posse riding right through the middle of town and all along those shops because I feel like that angle of the town is not an angle we get to see very often. Hmm. There's so many people like walking in the town and the riders coming through like I don't know Colorado Springs feels lived in in that shot in a way that I feel like it hasn't up till now in our watch you know. Like, yeah. we've, the times we've seen the most amount of people are usually when there's some reason or another for there to be a big crowd or something. But this one, this shot just felt really natural of, like, people moving, going through, and then the riders coming through. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I never thought about that. At the homestead, Colleen and Brian are in the barn going through Sully's trunk looking for baby items and clothing. And this is where we obviously see, uh, this is probably, I would say, the most glaring timeline inconsistency because we know that in the healing, all those items were, Sully gave them up to give to Lauren. Yeah. And so I know we talked for a long time about that whole episode and like Sully his willingness to give that stuff up and I felt like it was too early that was like episode five right and so I feel like it would have made so much more sense if we had already introduced this idea that he had trouble like in this episode later we're gonna he's sees that stuff and you know gets angry about it and so I think yeah just just if the order was in that logical viewing order maybe we as the viewers would have been given more time to process like oh this is something that sully's been working through and it has impacted the coopers and dr mike in a way you know so i thought that was um notable and brian and colleen briefly discuss uh sully missing abigail and the baby and you know brian missing charlotte they do Dr. Mike then is is continuing this thing where she's visiting all these villagers that don't live in town and she's 
talking to this family, helping treat the husband, basically. And, you know, she says, oh, like, this must be a wonderful place to raise children. Because she's scoping out this other problem that she also was trying to figure <laughs> out. And um, the, the woman says, yeah, I love children. But we find out very quickly that she's got a million of them. I counted 12. Oh, did you? Yeah. She's already got a bunch of children. And she says something like her husband won't let her have any more. So... That's no longer an option, but at least she got a ham out of it, right? <laughs> yeah. And again, I feel like this, knowing that this might have been at the beginning, it would have also made more yeah. sense Where when her mom makes the comment in The Visitor, you know? Pigs and chickens. Yeah, because you also see her kind of like trying to get those chickens off her horse. and Yeah. Yeah. No, that does make sense. I didn't think about that, but... You know, and then there's a shot of her like taking one bite out of an apple and then giving it to her horse. And I don't really understand why that that shot's in there. And also it bothered me because every good horse person knows you shouldn't feed a horse an apple or really anything while they have a bit in their mouth. If you didn't know this, guys, this is true. If horses (laughs) have bits in their mouth, it makes it hard for them to chew and it can be dangerous. I think that it, it is kind of a prolonged scene. I think it's trying to show that she's getting comfortable with things, which makes sense, yeah, if it was yeah. from a earlier episode. We see Red being pursued by the posse. He goes a different direction than they are before we're back at the homestead where the baby's crying all night. And keeping everybody up. Yeah. And then we go back to McCall and we see him kind of out in the wilderness somewhere at nighttime playing the lullaby and he seems sad. He seems sad because he's playing this, you know, lullaby for a baby that he doesn't have anymore. We're back in town and Dr. Mike is trying to find out if Emily's brother wants the baby. And it almost looks like he does. And then next thing you know, it's not really an option anymore. He kind of seems upset. Yeah, which they don't really tell us why, but we assume it's because he realizes the baby has some native heritage. Right. Jake is the worst And giving advice on the baby, which at first I was like, what do you know about babies? But then later, actually, it seems like he does know a few things. I'm sure because he's been their only option. And yeah, historically, we know that the barbers do a lot more than just cut hair. But yeah, I mean, we haven't seen him all episodes, so he had to show up and be his classic self. (laughs) Yeah, well, and I just don't like because he calls the baby a half breed. and Uh, Yeah, I don't like that either. But what's interesting is she calls him Mr. Slicker. Instead of Jake, which also shows us, you know, okay, if this was meant to be earlier, then we're establishing relationships <laughs> or lack thereof, maybe. Yeah. And Dr. Mike heads over to Robert E's, where she goes to purchase a new wagon, which the wagon that they look at is the wagon that we've already seen used in The Visitor, Father's Day, and Law of the Land. But right. um, Robert E holds the baby and she asks him do you have children and he says no but we know from yeah what episode was that what episode was that where grace uh, where he gets he gets burned was that episode Um, the visitor the visitor it was when when her mom was visiting yeah, yeah yeah but it's true that dr mike probably doesn't know that because i think that was something he shared with grace only yeah 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 You're correct. But he does kind of seem enamored with the baby. It's kind of cute. (laughs) The baby becomes this topic of discussion because he mentioned that he knows somebody that knows somebody that had (laughs) this kind of Indian baby. And she says, well, you know, that sounds like Red McCall. And he says, "I, I hope not because this guy tried to rob a store in Santa Fe. And Dr. Mike obviously makes a connection that it must have been Mr. McCall who also tried to rob Lauren, which I'm sure was disappointing. I wish that they had just had her make a face of realization instead of being like instead of her like (laughs) turning slowly and being like he was the one that robbed lauren's (laughs) store that's a a writing thing where i'm like actually you didn't need to spell it out because we already know so all you need to tell us is she realizes you'd be proud of me because i thought the same thing i was like oh yeah that's kind of really awkward that she says what she's thinking (laughs) instead of us knowing she knows but yeah yeah and it it would have been very easy with her acting ability just to be like like just to have a facial expression that says oh crap (laughs) right it seems like after a church service because it seems like they must have picnics after service every sunday honestly i I was watching this and i was like i want to do that i feel like a lot of people like they go out to eat after after church or whatever i'm like i want to do that we're like me and my friends just bring little 
picnic baskets and go for a picnic after church. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and so there is uh, Mr. Mr. Reverend Johnson tells Dr. Mike he's found a family who's interested in adopting the baby. Their names are Mr. and Mrs. Scrapton, which yeah, is... Yeah, don't you want to just give your children to them? The Scraptons. Um, yeah. And it's, they've adopted before, and they've adopted children from non-white backgrounds, but Emily rushes over... Good Emily. Good old Emily. I I kind of... She's, like, so random and we never really get to know her super well. (laughs) But she does kind of show up in little ways here and there and I like this because I'm like, I don't know. She's sharing knowledge because if this episode is sooner, right, Dr. Mike definitely doesn't know anything about anybody. So... Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Well, and just... I I think, you know, Emily's really after Charlotte, like, one of her first friends, so... That's true. but, But Emily says their older son ran away last year. At least that's what they tell me. Which... I read way too much into this line because I was like, does that mean he ran away and they found him and he's one of those kids? Or does that mean he, did these people kill one of their kids and then say he ran away? (laughs) Do you know what I Hmm. mean? Like, maybe I watch too many crime shows that I'm like, (laughs) he quote unquote ran away. Yeah. I didn't think about that. I was more focused on the fact that basically they beat their children and work them like slaves is kind of what it sounds like so when the family does come over with the reverend she's like actually no there's another family i forgot and the reverend's like what the heck dude and she's like no like in in much more bible appropriate language (laughs) yeah if he doesn't say what the heck but he basically is like i literally talked to you five seconds ago what just happened um yeah but part of me was kind of like disappointed in the reverend like do you think he doesn't know yeah, I think I think he he makes a comment of like, come on, they could have offered this kid a really good home, and right, he was focused on that. Maybe he was a little blinded by that. I don't know. Just thinking like, since he is the reverend, maybe the persona they put on in front of him versus the one that maybe Emily would see would be different. I don't know, but am I saying they're hypocrites? Maybe, <laughs> probably, but I don't know. I felt a little disappointed in him because at first he pushes it, but then. She, she says something about, yeah, like, sl- I, I didn't want to, I don't want to try him to become a slave or whatever. And he kind of backs off and is like, okay, we'll keep looking. And this is where he also asks her to check on Mr. Silver um, because he hasn't seen him lately. And I think he knows that she's been kind of going to various properties out of town. Um, so she, she is at the homestead. She tells the children, I'll be home tonight. But I've got to go check on Mr. Silver. And of course. Does she? I don't think she. She must not tell them whose house she's going to. I guess that's true. She says I'll be home tonight. But she yeah. may not say who. Yeah. Where? Right. You know. But Colleen's left with the responsibilities of the baby. And the boys are like. Okay. Let's go fishing. It's kind of funny. We've seen this before. Also in The Visitor. Right? Where the boys get to do all the fun stuff. And she was at home helping with Robert E. Dr. Mike goes to find Mr. Silver and she she finds him mauled and barely breathing in his home. And that's kind of all we see where we there might I mean we could have our own assumptions of why that's happened but we don't really know why. Well, and he he whispers bear to her. Right. But we wouldn't have known and and back at the homestead it's that evening and poor little Brian is very concerned that Dr. Mike is still not home and they want Matthew to sleep inside, but she's still not back. And then what I'm assuming is the next morning, we see that she's burying him, actually, because he is dead that morning. She checks on him and he's no longer alive. So she puts it on herself, takes it upon herself to bury him. Brian's still worried. And he says this line that rips your heart out, like, don't seem right to lose two ma's. Yeah, which he said, like, a couple things like that before. Yeah, and it is kind of like, oh. It didn't bug me in bad water, but I... Now that it's it happened in because we had this very similar situation right in Badwater where Doctor Mike goes out and doesn't come back and the kids mm-hmm. are left behind worried, um, which in Badwater uh, Robert E and Grace are with them, but and but the whole time Robert E and Grace are with them and like Olive and Lauren in Badwater they're all like oh or Lauren's not there but Olive is there, you know oh I'm sure they're fine I'm all, I'm sure the search parties found them they're on their way back already. And kind of similar thing we have Matthew, you know, saying like, oh, it's probably just too late for her to ride back. And then, right, uh, you know, Colleen saying like, she's going to be fine. And 
I'm like, this this little boy actually has, like, I don't know. I'm just thinking this is the Wild West. <laughs> and maybe I'm also feeding off of your thoughts from last week on, like, Myra's condition and being like, you don't know actually what's happened to her, where she is or what's going yeah. on. And everyone's pretending it's fine. And maybe I would do the exact same thing for a little boy. I know. Boy. I'm like, what do you want them to tell their little brother? Like, yeah, something horrible probably happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think I it's just, a defense. Well, and I think that's why I said, like, I think in bad water, I didn't think twice about it. But now that it's happening again, I'm like, man, these people spend a lot of time trying to make this kid feel better when we they don't actually know that things are fine. Right, especially when then we're back at Mr. Silver's and we see that Dr. Mike has full-on buried him, but her horse runs off, and next thing you know, there's this big brown bear towering over her, and she's having to run into the house to stay safe from, like, I, I'm actually kind of afraid of bears, to be honest. No, I definitely am. That's why I bought bear spray this year, because I live in a more, more rural area, and I've gone hiking a number of times by myself, and I realized, like... If something happened with bears, that would that would be scary. So yeah, well, and you can't really outrun them. No, but she kind of does to get into the house. <laughs> she does. I've looked a bear in the eye and lived to tell the tale. You saw a bear. You made that sound way more no <laughs> intense. Okay. Listen, I was walking my dog and our aunt's dog on this abandoned railroad track through this like it's kind of a park area now, and I there was a large animal in the woods like 10 feet so close and I could only see the back of it and I walked around to the side of the tree and looked a bear in the eye and thought to myself in like 0.3 seconds thought no one's gonna believe this I should take a picture no I shouldn't because I had just read like a week before I had read an article about some college kid who walked close to a bear to take a picture of it and got mauled to death. And I was like, I'm not going to be that person. And they say bears, bears attack when they feel threatened, right? They're not usually naturally like overly aggressive animals. They do it when they're, um, threatened or protecting something, right? Uh, namely, you know, Young, younglings. Younglings? What are they? Jedi? <laughs> Cubs. <laughs> um, so, but they, I had also read, like, bears are more likely to attack when people have dogs because it's a threat, right? And so I, I was like, okay, Benji, keep walking. <laughs> and right. um, he had barked at it and it was crazy. And I got back to the house and I was like, guys, I looked a bear in the eye, and they were all like, did you take a picture? And I was like, no, because I didn't want to die. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily that was a black bear, and this is a brown bear, which are known to be a little more aggressive. Matthew has gone to get Sully. We're gonna Sully's going to look for her, which this is why I'm like, she must not have told them where she was going, because it would have been very simple to say, she went to go check on Luke Silver, you know, and then he would have just gone straight to the... Luke Silver's homestead but he doesn't because he wants like he wants something for Wolf to track her scent so obviously they don't know where she went which always tell people where you're going that's like the number one rule of leaving the house (laughs) and that's when Sully sees that Colleen has been washing some of the baby's clothes and he realizes that they're using and Matthew says, oh, we didn't think you would mind. And he's like, well, I do. You should have asked. And then he runs off like a child. <laughs> yeah, but he, he is upset and they didn't ask. It's true. Sully finds Dr. Mike's horse, lo and behold, at Red McCall's camp. <laughs> and Red doesn't seem very concerned that the woman he left to take care of his baby is missing, which is a problem that I have. <laughs> no, that is kind of wild where he's like, oh, yeah, haven't seen her. <laughs> yeah. But Sully calls him out on being a robber, thief. Um, he, We also have some consistency where he's like, hey, you should give all that money back and maybe they won't be looking to hang you, which, you know, f- kind of draws back to what we've already seen in Law of the Land. And they have a discussion about what's best for the baby and what's selfish. And did you like this scene? I feel I felt like you probably liked it. 
Yeah, because I Sully gets really serious and he says, you know, I, I know what it's like to lose a child. And if I'm ever lucky enough to bring one into the world, like I would die before I would give it up. But I think if I think it makes red, it makes him think too. But yeah, I, I, I do like it because sometimes people say things or give advice when they have no idea what it might feel like. But this may be a little bit different of a situation, but I think Sully takes it very seriously. And I don't know, I appreciated that. Does it bother you that he doesn't take him back to town right there, turn him in? No, because he did the same thing with (laughs) Mr. Cooper. (laughs) But Dr. Mike did that. He wanted to take him back. Yeah. No, because I think he got the money and it seems like silly to be like, well, and we see later, we'll see later what he ends up doing. But mm, I think at the time I'm like, okay, he got the money, but... I mean, it is a consistent thing. Like you said, they get the money back from Mr. Cooper. They don't turn him in. They get the money back from Red McCall. They don't turn him in. But I just, I wonder why. Like, do you just trust these people are not going to go to the next? Because we know, too. Like, we don't know how many times Ethan Cooper's done it. But we know Red McCall has tried to steal from people before. So we're like, why are you going to let him go? Maybe he has sympathy because they've, you know, they were together. And I think he knows that he's not all a bad guy. I don't know. I really don't know why. I'm sure some of the listeners have maybe opinions on why they think Sully did it, but maybe Sully relates to him too cuz he hmm. lost his wife. Right. Which we I mean, I guess we don't know if Red and the baby's mother. I I kind of don't feel like we I don't feel like they were probably married, but lost the woman they loved and Sully lost his baby and he's like you have a chance to have your baby so you're an idiot <laughs> yeah so while he's walking with dr mike's horse which that's another interesting thing he's not riding right so that oh so that's true that could be before that previous episode that's good catch but dr mike's horse runs off again why is he always losing horses <laughs> For, like, dangerous, because of dangerous animals. Sully's two, like, issues. One, he just shows up out of nowhere. Two, loses animals, loses horses very easily, whether he gives them away or they run away from him. Yeah. But this time it's fair because the bear is back. Which wolves should have sensed him first, I feel like. Wolves should have sensed the bear. Because he gets, like, within, within, you know, shouting distance of the homestead. And Wolf right. is doesn't seem to be reacting at all. But but he runs into the home, the Silver's homestead with Dr. Mike and the bear is outside. And he says, you know, the bear must be rabid to be acting this way. Because like you said, you know, it hasn't been provoked as far as we know at this point. And so he says like, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, the bear is resting up or whatever. And you're like, oh, this is so intense. <laughs> Which we should probably talk about the... I couldn't find anything about... But it looks to me like they really did film with a real bear. I wondered about this, yeah. And I noticed, like, some of the shots where they show Dr. Mike, they only show her from behind. So my assumption would be whoever's in the shots with the bear is probably not actually their lead actress, Jane Seymour, right? Yeah. It's A lot of it's cut, too. I could tell it's, yeah. it's cut pieces here and there. But, I mean, I thought it was still pretty good. I thought it was very believable. Yeah, but when the bear's, like, smashing on the on the wall, like, I th- that's a real, like, trained oh, bear. Yeah. And yeah. that's really Joe Lando on the other side, which that's, like, intense. And he mentions, Joe Lando mentions, I saw in, like, a video where it's like oh yeah like working with a bear you know but just like that was all he said and so i was Hmm. like i want to know more about this bear and there was nothing in the credits either and i don't know if this was like pre-humane animal laws because i don't know that they could get away with probably (laughs) working that closely with a large exotic animal anymore but i mean i that was just to say like yeah they got some, I felt like, some good shots of this bear looking like it really is trying to get in. At the homestead, Colleen and Matthew are still trying to keep Brian busy and distracted. And they have a scene. Matthew's like, she's going to be fine. You just got to believe. And then Brian's like, I believe. And and he's and Matthew's like, I believe too. And I'm like, are we talking about Santa Claus? Have I been watching too many Hallmark movies, Christmas movies? Because that's how those Probably. lines go. 
No, yeah. it's true. That's, like, actually a direct line from uh, the Hallmark movie, A Princess for Christmas, which you know is, like, one of my favorites. <laughs> but that's literally, they talk about Santa Claus. And, I believe. Me too. And then Josh Groban's Believe from the Polar Express starts playing. Not really, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. But then Colleen comes running out because the baby is sick. And I love this scene because they start listing out things like they've been hanging out with Dr. Mike long enough. Did you try this? What about castor oil? He's too young. And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're all learning. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I think that's awesome. I like that too. (laughs) And then Dr. Mike's horse comes back. But before we can figure out what happens with that, we're with Dr. Mike and Sully at Silver's, obviously. And he says, I don't know why I wrote, Sully says he will take him. I don't know what that means. Well, he tells her to open the door. Yeah. Sully being the cool, inventive person he is, basically, they have Dr. Mike open the door. The The bear then gets locked inside the house, which is a pretty risky move, but it works for them, I guess, long enough for them to be able to get away from the situation. Yeah, seriously. He doesn't even have, like, a backup plan. Like, you climb out the back window as I open, you know? <laughs> yeah. But he, he like, yeah. hangs from the roof, and you're like, parkour! <laughs> but, okay, but I ha- I think this is a really dumb idea, because that bear is rabid, and old Yeller ripped my heart out telling me what has to happen with rabid animals. <laughs> they should be killing it, because I see foresee one of two things happening that are just gonna go bad. One, the bear gets out, and then goes after someone or something. And then bites another animal and makes more animals rabid. You don't know. B, someone who doesn't, who lives way out near this homestead comes to visit Luke Silver, not knowing, and opens his door and there's a rabid bear inside. Okay. Well, next time you know how to figure out how to kill a massive, multiple hundred pound rabid bear, you, you let me know Listen, and we can, we can let them know. I don't need to figure it out because I, I have a, way, a method. It's very simple. It's called Byron Sully has a tomahawk and we've seen him throw it with deadly accuracy. <laughs> okay, but do you know how strong bears are? That's not going to just like... Just hit him between anyway, the eyes. I'm not, we're not having this conversation. <laughs> he wanted them to get safe, so he figured out a way and it worked. What if it got out and followed them? It had already ripped half the wind, the door down. Oh, it probably could have. It probably could have, which is why they were running. <laughs> I can't have this conversation with you. But luckily back in town, Jake and Emily have a joint effort this time to help the baby. And they've kind of, it's kind of cool. He used like a little heating pad to help with what they think the baby has, which is infantile colic. Um... Which is still pretty pretty common today, um, and that does happen. A lot of babies, they get these abdominal cramps and kind of bring their um, knees in, so. Well, Jay, and Jake, I feel like is so... <laughs> nice? Unusually nice. I'm like, is he just is he just a punk to Dr. Mike? Because he's, like, really kind and... Maybe he's early on and we haven't learned his character yet, but, yeah. But Dr. Mike and Sully are back, and everybody's obviously happy about that, including little Brian. Um, What I found weird about this scene was Lauren says, why was my money in your saddlebag? And it's just kind of weird because it gives us the impression that they've just walked up. But I guess her horse ran back and then they found the money before uh, Mike and Sully got back. Well, they maybe they probably this is a guess, but like since the horse was saddled and the baby was sick, maybe they took her horse to town with the baby. I mean, I don't know how all three kids would have fit on the horse, though. Or they sent someone and back. I just thought it was a bit weird, but That's I guess true. that is something. Something along those lines happened. And so Sully says... How did they know it was his money? Maybe Dr. Mike's just rich. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Unless it was, like, the exact amount or something odd. I don't know. It is a little weird, but I'm sure they had to incorporate this. That's true. <laughs> and this is how they did it. But it would have been hard to just have Sully, like, especially considering their background, like, walk up to Lauren and be like, here's your money back, and then not have Lauren be like, what the heck, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but he says, oh, I ran across the guy that robbed you, and he said he was sorry. He said he made a mistake. He got the money back, and... They're like, well, who was it? What did he look like? And he's like, no one we've seen around here. Why does he lie? 
guy. He protects him because he, I think he knows deep down that Red McCall is not a bad guy. He's not Ethan Cooper, who, Ethan Cooper, Sully was, you know, suspicious of him from the beginning, right? I don't think it's that situation. But, I mean, I can see how some people could have issues with it because it's not the most honest thing to do. But the episode's not over yet, so we'll come back to that. We then see Dr. Mike, I guess, is... Well, wait. When did... When we Did we skip over the part? Oh, yeah! I know why you said Sully says, I'll take him. That Sully says that he'll take the baby if no one... If she can't find him a home. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. That was kind of important. That Yeah, that's super important that uh, Sully earlier had said he would be willing to take the baby, but... Dr. Mike kind of was like, how could you do that? Like with your life, I guess, you know, living out in the wild and doing what you, you know, doing what you do. How could you take care of a baby? And he's like, well, you know, what's, what other option is there? So then I guess this is Dr. Mike's last resort in a way is she, they go to the Cheyenne camp and we see Black Kettle for the first time in, Many episodes. A while. She is asking Black Kettle if he would be willing to take the baby. And he's not, which upsets her. But then Cloud Dancing and Sully kind of explain it's not because he doesn't want to help the baby. but it's Or that the baby's not Cheyenne. Because originally they say, like, the baby's not Cheyenne. And you're like, wow, really? Is that, like, reason enough for them? But luckily it's not. No, it's because... They're starving. They're suffering. How can he take on another mouth to feed when he can barely feed the ones he has? And we feel this kind of hopelessness. And and we get a reference to, you know, um, Cloud Dancing says, you know, uh, think he hasn't been the same since the massacre at Sand Creek. And no, nothing's been the same since then. Which, which I guess honestly makes more sense if this episode comes closer to the pilot. If not, it's been like, wow, that's, that's, feels like it's been a long time for us, but really for the characters, it hasn't. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, uh, I think this past week was also the 150th, uh, anniversary, it's the wrong word, uh, memorial? Memoriam? Yeah, yeah, for, for the Sand Creek Massacre. I saw this article Mm. about it. Anyway, Cloud Dancing just says he sees no future. He, being Black Kettle, sees no future for our people, which is sad. Sad. It is sad. And because that hasn't worked out, Dr. Mike is then trying to send a telegram to Denver to this children's home that we found out. To take a boy under these circumstances and with his ethnic background, which unfortunately during this era matters. Right. But as she starts to kind of tell Horace what she wants to say and include these things about this little boy, she realizes, I actually don't want to send this telegram. Like, never mind, forget it. And then even even when they're back at the homestead and the baby is crying during the night, it's really sweet that Colleen and Brian come out and are like, are we going to keep him though? Like, are we going to keep him? And she's like, of course we are. And so that is established here. And soon enough, she takes him outside because he's crying and she's talking about the moon and Mr. McCall and Sully come walking up. And Sully's like, oh, yeah, something he wants to tell you. He says, I'm here for my boy. Thankfully, she says, well, how do I know? You're not just going to abandon him again. Which is good. I'm glad she says that. I'm glad she's not like, yeah, you know, because she could just be like, okay, but it's nice that she cares about the child enough to be like, okay, but you did this one thing this time. And how do I know you're not going to do it? Yeah. Sully offers him the clothes from the trunk and... He, you know, Mr. McCall says, I know that the best thing I can do for him is be his dad and be together. Um, Sully is wearing the poncho that we haven't seen him actually wear since the pilot. Also, the red one. I think I would have liked it better, though, if Mr. McCall would have come on his own instead of... Yeah. Because it kind of seems like Sully dragged him there. (laughs) Yeah, I felt that, too. Because I feel like their conversation in the woods... Where he was like, I would die before I, you know, let anything keep me from my kid. Yeah. I think that would have been good reason enough for, you know, Sully could have been at the house if we want him there for that scene. And then have him show up and be like, well, I thought about what you said and 
I really have yeah. missed him and I really have one because we saw that he was sad about not having his kid. Yeah, maybe he was. I think what probably happened was he was still clearly around. He probably hadn't gone anywhere because I think he probably felt some sort of conviction. And Sully probably was like, OK, literally like this kid is about to be sent to this orphanage, which is not good. And that that's one of the things Sully said, like, I don't want him to go there, which is why he was willing to take the child. So he probably was like, I really don't want this to happen. And I feel like his dad really wouldn't want this to happen. So he probably went back and, and tried to convince him, which hopefully wasn't too hard based on the the emotions and conflict that Red McCall was feeling at this point. But yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. It could have been a little different. But I, I think what he says is makes him seem like a very sincere character because he says, like you, you mentioned, you know, normally, like how I pictured my life was I didn't really want anyone to be depending on me but I fell in love and I want to you know honor the love that I had with this person and what came out of it and so he does that and then similarly we see Sully have kind of an internal moment where he offers those baby clothes that he had previously been a little a lot upset about and then my favorite part happens you like that he names the baby Mike yeah (laughs) I don't understand why his mom the mother didn't name her six-month-old baby. I guess we don't know how long. Yeah, the mom could have died in childbirth. That's true. Know. Good point. I was th- I was thinking it was like recent because he's kept him a lot alive for that long. <laughs> I'm yeah. un- underestimating his ability to keep a child alive, mostly because I'm not a baby person. <laughs> Mike, which yeah. does feel like a full circle moment, especially knowing that she was supposed to be a Michael, right? Because yeah. they thought she was going to be a boy. And I think it just goes to show that she's continually making a difference whether she recognizes it or not. I like that she just has so much fight in her that she never, she doesn't give up on anybody or anything, like ever. <laughs> I like that a lot. And I think in episodes to come, which we never spoil, by the way, like we'll see that's when the conflict comes when she starts struggling with you know, wanting to give up on people or things. So is that your favorite scene? You said my favorite. I really like that part. I think, yeah, probably that ending or I think the scene with, with him and Sully, like having that conversation, I think were probably my two favorite moments just because it gives us a little background into each character, but also it's like a sweet sentimental moment, which, you know, I'm always here for. <laughs> I think um, my favorite scene, I think both those moments are really good too, but I try not to like ever pick the same scenes as you. Um, mm-hmm. But I think just the the opening scene where they have a laugh over her cooking and stuff, like right. I, I like the family feel and like just a nice domestic scene where they're right. growing as a family and learning together. Yeah. So I like that she can laugh at herself too, because I think she's she's been so hard on herself, right? And she could get mad and upset and whatever, but she doesn't. She's just like, yeah, yeah it's kind of a joke. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the last thing on our agenda, of course is ranking what are your thoughts so i like i mean i liked this episode i think it's a good episode i think the acting is good it's not like my favorite episode in the world or anything like it's good and yes it has some sentimental moments i'm not like ready to put it at number one or anything and just a reminder right now our number one is bad water then the pilot and then the visitor I don't know. What do you think? Well, the well Father's Day. We we mentioned Father's Day a couple of times just in regards to the plot line of him stealing money and then catching him and taking the money back. I mean, would you I think it's better. Oh, that's hard. We probably want to say it's better because Red McCall is more likable than Ethan yes. Cooper. <laughs> yes. And I think the reason we had such an issue with that episode is because of all the the conflict of you know, be truthful, always, you know, tell yeah. the truth versus like when you hide things. I think there was a lot of conflict with that, which, which you clearly had a little bit of that in this episode too, I think of like. In Father's Day, there was definitely a conflict of interest in the theme. This one, I don't feel like there was like, I'm always a little bit surprised because I said this about Law on the Land too. Like I was surprised that Dr. Mike was like, Matthew, don't tell anyone, I'll take care of it. Like I'm always surprised when characters don't, want to come clean immediately which is very human to be flawed Mm -hmm. but um 
instead be like, okay, well, I'm not going to turn you in, even though you did break the law and you could have hurt someone and we know you've done it before. Yeah. And, and I feel like I think the healing, I know that the issues with the healing were also like conflict of theme with the Colleen storyline. Right, right. So then we're talking epidemic. Do you want to put it in there between the epidemic and the healing? Or is it better than the epidemic? Mm. There wasn't much doctoring in this episode. Yep, that's true. And I also <laughs> pulled out some real random historical stuff. Yeah. Um, I could probably go before the healing or after and I wouldn't really care. <laughs> like, I'd be a little indifferent. Uh, yeah, well, we can go in between the healing and Father's Day then. This will be the, I new, like that. the new number seven. Yeah, I think that's good. So, no, it's not a bad episode. I'm not saying it's a bad episode. I just feel like there was, you know, one plot line basically and it was good. It was sweet. It just You was know like, what? That's true. Normally we have like consecutive like main storylines and sub storylines. This one didn't really have one. It was all connected, right? Like the baby finding a home for the baby, I guess you could say is like a sub storyline but it was still connected to the main storyline of like this man leaving his and his child and then the robbery could have been a sub storyline but it was connect you know like that is true yeah this one well maybe her the sub storyline was her trying to get more clients in surrounding areas but that is true it is it is kind of very linear in its the story it had to tell which I don't right. know that that's not a bad thing because sometimes no no not at all I think we've had discussions where we've been like what does the sub storyline have to do with the main storyline <laughs> yeah no yeah for sure it's just I think different and it makes me less attached to it I think just because it's the one okay so the new number seven on our rank is Cowboys Lullaby which is a nice title, too. I like the title, though. I think it's a good title. And I like, like, him playing the song made me want to learn it. <laughs> well, please write in with any lessons that you think Sully, Dr. Mike, the Coopers, or Red McCall, or yourself learned from this episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can write in to us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or on our website, www.notaladypodcast.weebly.com we, we really enjoy hearing from you guys in case you ever forget and we're hoping that I know we've gotten a lot of messages about people saying that now that the holidays are here they'll have some more time to listen to episodes so we hope you guys are enjoying and Kelly might actually not feel like her brain is overloading although I feel like maybe your brain is overloading now because you're getting rest for the first time <laughs> in months yeah yeah, it is a bit interesting, but I do love Christmas, so I'm very excited to focus on that for a change. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Not A Lady, a Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman podcast. If you like this episode, you can support us by liking or sharing our content on social media. We look forward to sharing the next episode with you, which will be... Oh, Running Ghost. Oh, I really like that episode. Also, we're getting really close to Happy Birthday, which I also really like. Well, slow down, slow down. <laughs> yes, Running Ghost is episode 10. Nice. We will talk to you guys in the next one. Bye, guys.